Back in 1977, as a 13-year-old boy, I was lucky enough to get the first edition of a new British magazine called 2000 AD. And in issue two of that magazine was a new strip called Judge Dredd. Judge Dredd was a character inspired by David Carradine's character in Death Race 2000, a sort of black leather clad anti-hero. He'd been designed by Pat Mills, the editor, for a previous uh, horror strip called Judge Dredd with an A, but it had never been used. So he resurrected the character for his new magazine. So Judge Dredd is a law enforcement officer in the 22nd century in a, in a city called Mega City One, which was a sprawling American metropolis spanning roughly from Boston down to the Charlotte area. Populations in the 22nd century are concentrated in mega cities and there's been some sort of international conflict and a lot of the planet has become radioactive wasteland. As part of the law enforcement, there are street judges who have the authority to apprehend, sentence and even execute criminals on the spot. What was good about Judge Dredd is he was a very mysterious character. His face has never been fully revealed, not in the current timeline, and in one of the early issues, he did get, take his helmet off and there was a large censored plastered across it and all the peps screaming, oh no, look at his face. The only time that we ever did see Judge Dredd's face fully was back in when he had uh, flashbacks to when he was younger. Another interesting fact about the Dredd comics is that the issue two, which was the first one, began in the year 2099. And each year of the comic progressed Dread's timeline by a year. So now the year is somewhere around 2142 and Judge Dread, if we add it up, is over 70 years old. For those that do know, there's also been two films on Judge Dread, one starring Sylvester Stallone, that was done in 1995, and the equipment and the um, props were good, but yes, Sylvester Stallone turned it into a bit of a cliched film uh, weren't really big fans of of that one and then in 2012 carl urban starred in dread which was truer to the comics um, it was a lower low budget and it was set in a a, a large a city block and that's where most of the action took place but it was very faithful to the comic with dark humor and carl urban had obviously read up on just dread because he played the character fantastically so apart from a board game in 1982, the first role-playing game was in 1985, and that was by Mark Gascoigne and Rick Priestley, two well-known names now, but not so much back in those days. Mark Gascoigne has been involved with the fighting fantasy books, and Rick Priestley with the Warhammer range. So the original role-playing game came in a box set, and in the box was two books, four dice, a cut-out character token sheet and a sheet of double-sided floor plans. Now the two books, one is labelled Judge's Manual with a large judge badge on the front, judge shield on the front, with large letters at the bottom, read this book first. And that is 72 pages and that is the main player handbook. The second book, called the Games Master Book, features four judges on their lawmaster bikes shooting and that is a 128 page book and that contains information for the games master 
So if we uh, take a look at the judges manual, and this is quite, uh, it's still fresh with me because I'm currently playing in a game, uh, my face-to-face -face group as a judge. So I'm very familiar with this system. It's a D100 system. So you have a number of stats ranging from strength, initiative, combat, drive, streetwise, tech, med and psi. And apart from strength, all your other attributes are got by adding 2d10 and adding to them score of 20, giving you a range of 22 to 40. And for most actions, you're trying to roll equal to or under your skill. Now, as a starting street judge, you are pretty crap, to be honest. A lot of the time, you're going to be missing with your shooting and you daren't drive your lawmaster because your lawmaster is far better at driving with a computer than you are. So leave it to the bike. Now, if you get a score of 40 in the tech, med or size scores, which is obviously a maximum on your 2d10 rolls, you can specialise as a tech judge, a med judge and a Psi judge. Psi stands for psionics and that is the only sort of magic type system in the game. The combat system is very crunchy. The game is split in turn, it's split into rounds and each round is a number of phases and depending on your initiative score you divide your initiative by 10 and that is the number of actions you have. So if you have an initiative of 40 divided by 10 you get a total of four actions and in each phase and you'd get activate in four phases. So with the initiative of 40 and an action of four, you would activate into in phases two, four, six, and eight. And what should happen is the games master will call out phase one and anybody who activates in phase one will take one of their actions, then move on to phase two and so on. Where Judge, Judge Dredd really shines is you're not a murder hobo, you're a judge upholding the law. And as a judge, you've got certain criteria you must follow. So when you see a perp, which is the name for a criminal, the first thing you've got to do is initiate a challenge. You've got to call out to them and give them the chance to surrender. The referee will roll to see if that perp holds his hands up and gives in, or whether he's going to flee or fight. And as a judge, you cannot do anything until you've issued a challenge. If you go to combat then you just can't shoot willy-nilly because there's instant bystanders around so as a judge you've got to spend one action aiming so this eats into your time at shooting but by aiming it gives you a better chance to hit now in the book there is a good selection of equipment and guns and ammunition and the game is quite crunchy when it comes to combat you roll to hit then you roll the part of the body you hit and then you roll to see what damage you cause on the D6, which could be from a stun to a wound. Any armor worn by the suspect takes off from the damage. Now, when it comes to everything else bar combat, there are lots of rules within the book covering nearly every eventuality. And when it gets really hairy is when you're on your lawmaster bike. Because you, as a judge, you're going to have a driving skill of somewhere between 22 and 40. Whereas your lawmaster has a driving skill of 60. So you're better off letting your lawmaster drive. However, if you want to do something fancy, then you've got to take control. And a large part of the game is trying to keep control of that bike, which is hard when you've got a low drive score. And the 
Games Master Book actively encourages you to give the judges a hard time on the bikes and they're also spinning out, crashing, and you can have a lot of serious damage from when you get uh, when you screw up on your bike. The game also contains special abilities, which allows the judges to, well, as they gain experience, to get special abilities. And these are divided up into different sections. So they uh, take place in your initiative, combat, technical skills, driving skills, med skills. And when you get up to a score of 40, then you can pick a special ability for the attribute that you've scored 40 in. But psy psionics are only available to psi judges, which are quite rare. And there are a number of psychic powers uh, like telekinesis and uh, mind reading that you can do as well as a psionic judge. Now, Judge Dread is really designed as an episodic game. You can have a full sessions gaming as one little episode. So therefore, it's a great game to dip into and dip out of. And it's very much like the old Hill Street Blues, where at the start of the session, you have a talk from your patrol sergeant and he will or she will detail any perps that are wanted, any crimes that are needed investigating. Therefore, you have a number of options that you can go out and do. But you, things usually go to ratchet as soon as you ride out of Justice Hall as things start happening in front of you and you get sidelined with side quests. But you can have a self-contained adventure all in one evening. The great thing about the original Judge Dread game, and it was followed on in later games, was that if you were a fan of the comics, there was lots of detailed information on the equipment. The judge's equipment, for example, not only do you have your, your padded armour and your um, helmet, but you have your bike, you have your your lawmaster, and there was nice detailed pictures of the lawmaster in there, showing all the parts, all the different types of ammunition. And, okay, yes, you had to count your ammunition uh, rounds, and you had to select what rounds were in there, but that's all part of being just red. You had these choices to make, and it really gave a good flavour of the comics and it sort of it added to the comic by explaining the equipment and when you get to the games master's book it describes all the vehicles I mean, the first seven or eight years worth of um, judge dread comics are, are here in the games master book details how to build a city block the different areas the different vehicles the different body types I mean, it's just a wealth of information. And even if you don't want to play this game, it's worth it alone just to get all this information to convert to your favourite system. So there's a plethora of information. And for an early game, it's just... And the artwork. All I can say about the artwork, it's direct from the comic, so it gives it real good flavour. You've got stats for the robots, you've got stats for the bad guys. So it is, it is really good information. But the problem with this Judge Dread role-playing game, is it shows its age because it's in a time where everything is trying to be covered by the rules. And if you've got a games master who's really familiar with the rules, as we are fortunate to have in our face-to-face -face game, it runs fine. But if you've got someone who's inexperienced, there's going to be lots and lots of referring back to the rule book to look up how do we do falling, how do we do controlling your bike. When you make an arrest, you have to sentence the perp to the um for the crime and there's tables in that up for each crime how long you should get and 
if a senior judge sees you giving out the wrong type of sentence, it can all go horribly wrong for you. But it is a great game. And I think for any other Judge Dread game coming after it, it is a good reference material to, to look at to see the sort of material that you can produce. It's so well produced. And it's a, it's a shame that um, Games Workshop lost the license. So the Judge Dread game came out in 1985. But in 1992, although it was still being produced, Games Workshop dropped it from their catalogue and were not advertising it. And sadly, in 1995, they lost the license. But there still is a large community of people that enjoy the Judge Dread role, original Judge Dread role-playing game. And since then, there have been three further Judge Dread role-playing games. The first one from Mongoose Publishing was a D20 system. Then Mongoose took a second stab at it using the Traveller system, which they were also producing at the time. And then recently, N Publishing have produced the 2000 AD Worlds role-playing game, which is based on the Wine system. And in future episodes, I'm going to talk about the other three versions of this game. I really enjoy playing this system, but as a GM, would I like to run it? I would like to run it, but if I was going to run it, I would probably use a different system. And in a later episode, I'll talk about some hacks of other systems that have been used to do Judge Dread, which I think are worthy of notice. But my overall view is the original Judge Dread game yeah, it's a classic, a British classic. It uh, combines a British classic icon with a British classic games company. If you can find it at a, re a reasonable price, I would highly recommend pick this game up. It's two big thumbs up from me. Now we're going to go over to some call-ins. Hey Pete, Jason here, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Really enjoyed the review of Prince Valiant. Great job. And I want to thank Edwin for calling in about that Chaosium module. I do not own that, but I will pick it up. Sounds interesting and you're right, it is right up my alley. I, I don't recall the name right now, I'm driving. But you might be able to provide that if you do play this on the air. So, keep up the good work and I'll talk to you soon. Now I know Jason enjoyed my Prince Valiant review because he contacted me shortly after asking where I got the binary dice from. So I pointed him over to Amazon, and lo and behold, I think he bought 32 binary dice. But I must admit, they are my favourite dice at the moment. Love them, so I'm sure they will get put to good use. Right, let's see who's up next. Hey Pete, it's John here from the Red Dice Diaries. I'm just listening to your episode about the Prince Valiant storytelling game. Very enjoying that. I'm not even halfway through yet, but thought I'd just pause it briefly to leave you a quick message. When you were talking about the, the using dice instead of coins, I am with you all the way on that, dude. I would not be throwing a handful of coins. I can only imagine the carnage that would result in my house if that happened. And you were talking about binary dice and how you could use D6s and use four pluses as successes or whatever. And that's absolutely true. But to be honest, you don't even need to do that. I seem to remember that one of the big things about Ubiquity was that you could use pretty much any dice for it. All you have to do is count odds as a failure, evens as a success. We've all got loads of dice, so just pick up a big old handful of whatever dice you've got and hope for evens. Anyway, I'm going to get back to the rest of the episode. I'll probably leave you another mail once I finish listening to it. Take care, dude. 
That's my fellow Purple Worm co-host, John Allen Large. And that's a great tip from John. Yep, pick whatever dice you got lying around. It doesn't matter if they're a mix of D4s, D6s, D8s, D12s. doesn't matter as long as they've got an even number of sides. None of your fancy DCC dice here. And roll them and just count evens for successes and odds for failures. Simples. Great tip. Thank you for that one, John. Hey, Pete, it's John here again. Just finished listening to your Prince Valiant review. Very much enjoyed that. Although there was one thing in it which did remind me of a bit of a pet peeve of mine. I know, what are the chances of that happening? But that was the bit when you were talking about it was the chief storyteller in the Prince Valiant storytelling game. Now, I've got to admit, one of our pet peeves is the whole trying to find a different acronym for GM. GM's perfectly serviceable. It's absolutely fine. There is nothing wrong with it. But I remember even back in the 90s, I suppose this is where my peeve originated, when the sort of World of Darkness games were coming out and they were sort of billing themselves as angsty storytelling games. They used the acronym, well, they used the term storyteller to refer to the GM, presumably hoping to distance themselves from D&D and the other role-playing games in the market at the time. Since then, it seems as though every other book tries to come up with a different euphemism for the games master. And some of them are more fanciful than others. So you have like storyteller, like you said, chief storyteller, obviously implying that everyone's a storyteller at the table, which is fair enough if you like that sort of thing. But I like a bit of game in my role-playing game, given the fact that out of the three letters that make up RPG, G is a third of that. So I never minded the GM being referred to as the Games Master, or the GM for short. And I've got to admit, when I read a book now and they have some new fanciful term for it, I tend to just roll my eyes and go, and then mentally replace it with GM anyway. Anyway, that's my moan. Take care, dude. Yeah, John. I know where you're coming from. I always tend to default to GM as well, no matter what the game calls, whether it be referee, dungeon master, whatever. I just slip back into GM as well. It's a lot easier to remember. I know the new Alien role-playing game. They came up with quite a good one. They called the GM Mother after the computer in the film. But, I mean, it's still a GM, isn't it? It's a bit of a fancy trick. So, yeah, I'm completely on board with you, that one. Let's stick to GM. We all know what it means. Hey, up, Pete. Shandy Andy here. Just wanted to say thank you for your review of Prince Valiant. That was a role-playing game that had passed me by. I must admit I wasn't aware of it, which is a little bit odd because, um, as you know, I'm a big RuneQuest fan So, uh, and Ramford's a big fan of Greg Stafford but somehow uh, I've not picked up on he'd done that and uh, it's from <laughs> my era as it, it was so it sounds quite an interesting game that and I'll certainly uh, have a think about picking up a copy of that and potentially playing that because I, I did play um, Hero Quest last year which I assume is possibly a sort of similar type of game in that it's a, a storytelling game but anyway Great episode. Thanks very much, Pete. Andy, yeah, I think it's an under-recognised game. 
I think probably because it's so specialised. I mean, I wasn't aware of the Prince Valiant comic strips until very recently. And the only reason I had an interest in the Prince Valiant game was because of the binary system. And being a big fan of the ubiquity binary dice, I thought Prince Valiant would be a good fit for that. And I hadn't read the comics strips before that. So I think that's why it's missed quite regularly. And probably after his magnum opus of Pendragon, Prince Valiant has probably slipped into the background. So it's certainly an interesting system. And if you like binary dice system, then that is a good system to try out. Hey, yo, Pete, it's Joe. And I didn't know whether to call into you or John, so I rolled a D4 and you won. Or loss, depending on how you feel about me calling. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was a fantastic joint review that the two of you did. Uh, if you were reviewing joints, I would also think that was fantastic. <laughs> but seriously, I thought that setting sounded rad. It super reminded me of Thunder the Barbarian, which is one of my favorite all-time cartoons. I think that would be a great setting to run a Thunder the Barbarian game in. So, yeah, I definitely want to check it out. But I have a question. Is that dude who wrote it, is his name Venger or Vengus? Because you and John were saying different names for him. And if it's Venger, that would make me laugh because Venger is the name of the bad guy from the Dungeons & Dragons cartoon. Anyway, peace out. Joe, I'm glad I won. It's always great to hear your voice. Right for clarity, the book is The Islands of Purple Haunted Putrescence, and the author is Venger as Nas Satanis. So I can't remember if I pronounced it correctly or John did, but 50-50, one of us got it right. So yeah, Venga is his name. Thank you to all of those guests for calling in. And that's all for this episode. I'll see you all again on the flip side. You have been listening to the Dragons Are Real podcast. My name is Pete Jones. You can find more information at my website at petejones.neocities.org or at my blog at dragonsarealpodcast.tumblr.com. The opening music was Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin MacLeod. The closing music, also by Kevin MacLeod, was Fretless. <laughs>